This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York. I'm recording this on Friday, October the 2nd, 2020. Our old friend Harold May is no longer the president and CEO of New Japan Pro Wrestling. WWE's independent contractor talent have until today to end their unauthorized relationships with third parties. Impact Wrestling is a new UK TV partner. Paul Levesque had another NXT conference call ahead of TakeOver, reasserting that they're happy where they are and they're focusing on themselves. I'll tell you today what the three big key metrics are that you should be following if you want to know what the future value of wrestling TV programming is. Andrew Yang is tweeting, The president has coronavirus. Q3 has come to an end. The litigation over whether Randy Orton's tattoos are the intellectual property of the artist who tattooed the tattoos on him. That litigation rages on. This one's a skull. This one's a skull. And hey, if we have time, I'll tell you why. Counter-programming is a false economy. Deep dives into Showbuzz Daily. All that. Or at least some of it. But first... New Japan Pro Wrestling announced on Tuesday that Harold May, the president and CEO of New Japan Pro Wrestling, has resigned from his position, or will resign, effective October 23rd. Takami Obari, who is the current CEO of New Japan Pro Wrestling of America, will become the new president and CEO on October 23rd. Harold May originally took the position in May 2018 uh, with the idea, uh, with his background and his uh, multiple languages that he knew, that he would be a good leader to bring New Japan into a more global strategy. Since uh, Harold May took over for New Japan, uh, New Japan has lost its TV deal in the U.S., and while they've been compromised greatly by COVID, as every wrestling promotion has been, New Japan's U.S. strategy has not been very successful. Nonetheless, attendances and revenues before COVID were up for New Japan year over year. Uh, May wrote a gracious blog on the New Japan official website. He wrote that he uh, learned a lot of things by paying attention to the feedback he was getting on places like Twitter. May wrote on Tuesday, At first I had some harsh opinions about me, but as I spelled out my thoughts in the column, there was a moment when I thought, that I might have been accepted a little bit, and now I feel a bond with everyone. End quote. By the way, this is a loose translation from him writing in Japanese and this being Google translated to English. Uh, he closed the column saying, I often stood in the lobby of the venue to welcome you. So many people's faces come to mind. I can't express my gratitude in words. I'm really thankful to you. Pro wrestling shines and is completed only when there are fans who support it. In the edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which was published this morning, uh, Dave cited many uh, anonymous sources with their reactions to the news about Takami Obari taking over as New Japan CEO. Quote, I don't think it takes much looking to see that the U.S. strategy for the last couple of years has been haphazard, and that's being generous. End quote. So on one hand, I'm surprised he's elevated because the track record is not successful in the least, but on the other hand, I am not surprised at all, given he's always felt like the heir apparent to an extent. 
In retrospect, it feels like they made him CEO of New Japan America just so he had CEO on his resume when May inevitably left. End quote. Dave cites another source who he characterizes as a Japanese insider with extensive knowledge of the inner workings of the company. This person says, quote, There was a very serious power game between TV Asahi, Bushi Road, and New Japan Pro Wrestling, and who knows what actually happened must be limited to a few key people. Dave does name one source here in this article in The Observer, which is Tony Khan. And I, I don't think this is something that Tony Khan has said on Twitter or elsewhere, but you never know with The Observer. I think this is, this is an original quote with rare attribution from AEW president and CEO, Tony Khan, who says uh, about whether there's a better possibility that AEW and New Japan will have some sort of working relationship now in the near future, now that Harold May is gone. Khan says, quote, I'm not sure yet, but my initial gut feeling is it could be good. End quote. This is a great PR, isn't it? Uh, more on that later in the program. Uh, another person who Dave characterizes as one of AEW's top names. This person has, quote, no idea regarding the opening of the business relationship now that Harold May is out. Uh, quote, we want to, but he, Harold May, was an idiot when it came to understanding the business. Hopefully things will change now. End quote. So I don't have any special insight on the likelihood of uh, New Japan and AEW cooperating in the future. It sounds like it's more likely uh, in the future now with Harold May uh, no longer being the president and CEO as of the 23rd. It sounds like he was some sort of obstacle. Remember, New Japan still has its relationship with Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor certainly sees, rightly so, AEW as a competitor in the space. Um, but I think there's a lot of money to be made uh, with AEW and New Japan interacting both on AEW events and on New Japan events. As I wrote in the uh, SWAT analysis for AEW on uh, WrestleNomics.com in a blog, there are obvious synergies there. New Japan needs to break into the U.S. AEW would be a good partner to help them, you know, reinforce their visibility in the U.S. If there's a relationship to be had with Bushi Road as a whole, uh, AEW could certainly benefit from some talent exchange with Stardom. New Japan would certainly benefit from having uh, Kenny Omega, uh, most importantly, and the Young Bucks as well. It would probably help New Japan get a TV deal. If they can go to TV partners and say, hey, look, we've got some of our stars are on this AEW program on TNT right now, and they've got major television exposure here. If if New Japan stars were to appear on AEW Dynamite on TNT. Now that said, there's not evidence yet that New Japan really understands and has an appropriate strategy to break into the U.S. market. It's not evident yet that uh, New Japan understands that the U.S. market is very much a media market, unlike Japan, and is less so a live event market like Japan is. Um, what New Japan could really use is a Nick Khan-like equivalent figure for their company who, who could help them make uh, a media partnership that would allow them to have a valuable TV deal. Of course, New Japan hasn't been on U.S. TV since it's lost its deal with Access. Uh, at, the, at the end of 2019, when Access was acquired by Impact's parent company, 
anthem and it looks like there was a political situation where uh impact basically required new japan to have a partnership with impact or that they, or they would push them off the network it looks like new japan did not agree to have a partnership with impact and they were pushed off the network and in the meantime new japan has ran some you know pre covid times just ran some sort of random uh live events that didn't do very well in the us um yeah i think new japan content its programming is under monetized probably worldwide um you know if AEW as a startup now here uh, one year into the into into dynamite being on TNT you can get a number of TV partnerships around the world you know it's not everywhere in the world but it's it's in the US and Canada and in a lot of uh European markets why can't New Japan which has been around for many more years do something that even approaches uh what AEW has done so maybe if, if I were New Japan, I'd be looking to hire some sort of uh, talent agency who could help me negotiate and attract some TV deals, first of all in the U.S. and uh, in other English-speaking markets as well. And it continues to flabbergast me that New Japan World does not have an app on a number of platforms. So, and then from there, talk about the patreon real quick uh thanks to everybody who uh we are now in the new patreon times for wrestlenomics and thanks to everybody who's uh still a patreon for wrestlenomics moving over from the 2018 time when we used to have the patreon just a reminder that i'm trying to keep expectations really low i'm not promising any new content this is just sort of a pbs npr member support if you want to support it's very much appreciated if you can't do it no problem, totally understood. Maybe I'll add different uh, pricing options, but just $5 a month is the only option right now. And uh, if you want to contribute $5 a month, you can go to patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, and you can contribute $5 a month, and I will use the money, not to put it in my pocket, but to put it into more uh, valuable research. Better equipment, better software. Sort of as each week goes on here, I come across another uh, research subscription uh, resource that you could pay X amount of dollars for. You know, there's almost no end to these sources, some of which are quite expensive. But the more support I have from all of our intelligent and wonderful listeners, the better our research and understanding of the wrestling industry will be. And then from there. On Thursday, Wrestling Inc. and Raj Geary reported that WWE will take over Talent's Twitch accounts in four weeks. Vince McMahon sent an email to Talent this week reminding them that they have until today, Friday, October 2nd, to sever any unauthorized business relationships with third parties. And Talent who failed to comply could be fined, suspended, or even fired. You may remember last month, Vince McMahon directed that talent should disengage with third parties like Twitch and YouTube and Cameo, and W later clarified in a public statement saying that talent could maintain their Twitch and YouTube accounts under their real names. However, they would still need to inform the company of those accounts. 
Well, now, according to Wrestling Inc., W Talent were told this week that the company will be taking control of their Twitch accounts four weeks from now. WWE will own those accounts. But, hey, look, it's all good. Talent will receive a percentage of the revenue. Which, by the way, will count against their downside guarantee. A downside guarantee is the minimum uh, guaranteed salary that a WWE wrestler uh, is guaranteed to make in a given year. But WWE wrestlers make in excess of their guarantee relative to how often, uh, how many shows they wrestle on, how much merchandise they receive royalties for, and so forth and things of that nature. So in other words, whatever revenue uh, wrestlers get from their Twitch accounts will not be automatically in excess of their downside guarantee. However, if they are exceeding their downside guarantee, which I would guess that everybody who's healthy is, it would contribute to the excess on the downside. Fightful Select has uh, at least some excerpts of the email that WWE Talent received. It reads, uh, written by Vince McMahon himself, uh, Just a friendly reminder that this Friday, October 2nd, is the deadline for severing any unauthorized business relationships with third parties. Continued violations beyond this deadline will result in fines and may result in suspension or termination. If you need any further details, please contact our EVP of operations, Brad Blum. Thank you, Vince. End quote. Thank you, Vince. I can't control the virus. Yes. I hate it when I feel like I'm not in control. It's notable that the email does not specifically say uh, whether WWE is taking over the Twitch accounts and uh, WWE has yet to make a public statement on the matter. The Observer has an anonymous quote related to this issue. Where the hell is uh, it? Like dirt sheets. Dave writes, one talent said, quote, this is amazing because it's really going to open up the independent contractor issue. All God, these smart returning surrounding events, and this is the battle he wants, end quote. Uh, Andrew Yang has tweeted tonight, Friday, that uh, he tweeted this. Bitch. Hearing from talent that WWE is forcing performers to sign new contracts that include Twitch. Democrats. Streaming on Twitch will become a work obligation. And if talent doesn't stream, they will forego earnings, be suspended, or face penalties. Doesn't sound like independent contractors, unquote. Get Donald Um, on the phone. I'm not sure if Andrew Yang, I'm skeptical that Andrew Yang uh, is fully accurate here. Um, I would be surprised if everyone is going to be required to do Twitch, but stranger things have happened. And then from there, uh, Triple H, because there's a takeover coming up on this Sunday, Triple H, Paul Avec, the executive vice president of Global, whatever his new title is, he had a new and another NXT media call with the wrestling media on the line. The portion that we are most interested in, though, it was Dave Meltzer's question to Paul Levec about, well, whether maybe, you know, considering the preemptions that just happened where NXT was on different nights or it was unopposed by AEW, that was also preempted for a lot of sports playoff programming that was happening. Would NXT, a subject we've talked about on this very program, will NXT move off of Wednesday night and go to Tuesday or Thursday? 
And that led to this testy exchange between Paul Levesque and Dave Meltzer. Okay, next question will be our final one. And we'll go to Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, Dave, how are you? Good, good. So, um, I mean, we've kind of known this all along, but a couple of weeks ago, when you guys were on Tuesday for two weeks, it pretty much proved what we all kind of figured, and that is if you were on a different day, other than Wednesday and also Monday or Friday, that uh, the NXT audience would grow significantly. You know, it's probably 20, 25% viewers and probably 30% plus, 18 to 49s. And I was wondering how, how, what, what, is there any kind of serious talk about trying to move to Tuesday or a Thursday uh, to, because it would be an, you know, a virtual guarantee of, significantly increasing ratings and the more people watch, the more fans you get and you know how that cycle goes. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy with where we are. Um, there's conversations around all of our product at all times with the best place for it to sit, best place for it to work, all of that. Um, the funny thing, I don't hear anybody else asking about people moving on Wednesday since we were always on Wednesdays. Um, well, they wanted to start on Tuesdays, and that was out of their control because of the NBA. Yeah, no, I know that. It's, you know, but not like every other channel just has free air at all times. So, you know, um, it's, it, it, it comes down to a question of um, where the show best sits, not only for us, but for our partners, um, and, and wherever they want to go to. If, you know, we're, we're open to doing the best business we can, but it's not just a – as simple a decision as it's our decision and we just put the show where we want to put it. Um, those decisions are made by uh, partners and everything else um, along the way. So uh, I'm, to me, I'm, you know, it, it, it is a funny thing to me. I, I, I've said this since the beginning, but I don't know. Uh, people tend to want to believe what they want to believe. It's not a concern to me. We do the best show we can do. Um, we go out to put the best show on that we can put on every week with the talent that we have, which I consider to be the best in the world, um, and do the best show we can. And that's it. Um, as far as where it sits, the networks, all those things, those are those are business questions that, that come down to WWE, but also to our partners. So um, lots of conversations will happen, and and where it ends up, wherever it ends up, I promise you, we'll put on the best show we can, and uh, make it everything that it can be for our fans. So if you look at uh, what else is airing in prime time for the USA Network on Monday nights, of course they have WWE Monday Night Raw uh, on Friday night. You wouldn't want to go on Friday night; you'd be going head to head with WWE SmackDown. You probably don't want to be on a weekend night. Those aren't good nights for television. Sunday would be going against your pay-per-views on occasion anyway. Can't have that. That doesn't make sense. So Tuesday and Thursday would be the only two obvious options. But, as Triple H notes, it's not like the USA Network just has all this free airtime or they're not airing anything. I mean, there's already programming that's airing right now, scheduled on the USA Network on Tuesday and Thursday nights in primetime. Now you've got to remember, USA Network is airing reruns. Not first run, but reruns of Law & Order SVU on Tuesday and Thursday nights, according to the USA Network schedule on their website. 
In fact, there appears to be a, a whole Law & Order SVU marathon going on on the USA Network. If you're not familiar with Law & Order SVU, featuring stars like Ice-T, uh, Law & Order SVU airs its first runs. It, it's still an active show. It's not a, it's not a show that's canceled or had its final season. Law & Order SVU is on NBC. All its first runs are on NBC, the broadcast network, within that NBC Universal parent company. Uh, USA Network, also owned by NBC Universal, airs reruns of that active program. And I don't know, it seems like it wouldn't be that hard of a decision for the USA Network to just swap two one hour episodes of Law or SVU on either Tuesday or Thursday night and put them on Wednesday and put NXT in either of those places. But now, Law and Order SVU reruns are probably very profitable for USA Network. It's not like it's costing uh, NBC Universal anything extra to produce these programs. They, I don't know, they probably own, I, I think NBC Universal is the producer for the program, so they probably own the content. They probably own all the episodes, just something in their video library that's not costing them anything to, to fill the time slot with. So all of the ad money is is just, you know, very high margin as opposed to something like Raw, where we, we know what the value of Raw is. Raw is costing USA Network uh, about $5 million per episode. Now, something like Raw, and I know we're talking about NXT, but at least we know something about Raw. But we know Raw, um, it costs them $5 million an episode, and they get some ad money for the ads that they sell during Raw, but they also are most likely uh, selling covenants to cable and satellite companies, a uh, specific value tied to the guarantee that Raw is going to be there. And that's driving and supporting their transmission fees, which make up about 70 or 80% of the revenue that a, a network like USA Network gets. Ad revenue making up the other 20 or 30%. We don't know. I don't believe I know what NXT is getting for a TV deal. It's a question I'm asked sometimes. What is NXT's deal? And when the uh, announcement was made that NXT was moving off of the network on first run to the USA Network, uh, there's discussion and reporting and speculation that NXT was getting maybe $30 million a year, maybe $60 million a year. Uh, I would be surprised that if it's that high. Uh, I would guess that it's much lower than that. I've heard that maybe it's almost worth nothing. Maybe, who knows, that this is not some information that I have, but just speculation. Maybe they're just getting an ad revenue share. I would guess it's closer to nothing than it is to 30 or even $60 million. But anyway, I mean, I would be surprised if USA Network couldn't do that fairly easily if it wanted to. Uh, but as we've sort of played out, thought through the game theory here, it is probably more in USA Network's interest and definitely WWE's interest for NXT to continue uh, being predatory toward AEW to stamp out the early emerging competition of AEW and its threat, the threat that it poses to Raw in specific, because we're talking about the, the USA network world here, Fox owning the rights to SmackDown. And just to catch everybody up, let's think, think that through briefly if we can. Um, I think USA network as well as WWE rationale seems more obvious, right? They don't want a, another sizable wrestling company to come up and, and compete with them. 
and they don't want another wrestling company to compete with them for TV rights and, and every other stream of revenue that they have, potentially. But the USA Network would want Raw to continue being strong so that uh, they continue to have this well-performing property. And we'll get into just how well it's performing. And everybody can talk all day about how W. Raw has lost half of its audience over the last five years, which is true. But it's still a very highly ranked program. Um, and USA Network, I don't think, is is just content to wait around and say, "Oh yeah, let let the let the wrestling uh, let the wrestling competition just play out, and maybe we'll maybe we'll even compete for AEW someday." I don't think uh, the USA Network is content to do that, and I don't think they would be wise to be to uh, just let that play out. Um, the cost of USA Network buying AEW would probably cost them a premium to get AEW away from its current partner. Let's say. Warner Media, if the situation arose, it would cost them a premium to get AEW away from uh, their current partner, which would mean USA Network paying more money per viewer hour for the wrestling programming that they're getting. But clearly, as far as the NXT and AEW competition, uh, as listeners of this show probably well know, uh, AEW is decisively beating NXT in every demographic except for people over the age of 50. And uh, so we'll dive right into some thoughts about the wrestling TV industry. Uh, let's first get to, let's talk about, just real quickly, uh, Impact Wrestling has a new television partner in the United Kingdom. Impact Wrestling announced on Friday that it is partnering with Premier Sports and Free Sports in the UK. Impact Wrestling will begin airing on Wednesday nights on the channel Free Sports the Bound for Glory pay-per-view will air live uh, October 24th on Premier Sports 1. There's also going to be a special presentation of the Victory Road pay-per-view on Premier Sports 2 on Tuesday. So if you're like me, uh, you have no clue. I have no clue uh, what this means. I know that Impact Wrestling already has a TV presence in the UK on 5 Star through Channel 5 in the UK. So I asked around. And I was told that these are better time slots, but the exposure is not as good as 5-star. The channel Free Sports is a freeview channel in the UK, so it's very accessible to the audience. But it seems it's a pretty low-profile channel, so it doesn't do big viewership. So that's what's happening with Impact Wrestling in the UK. This is a deal that is, for now at least, in addition to the 5-star agreement that they have, I'm going to get into a discussion about TV viewership and what metrics matter when we consider the value of wrestling TV programs. Uh, but I'm going to break in here with some with an update on the story about W taking over the Twitch accounts and things of that nature. Wrestling Inc. has a new report from Raj Giri, uh, exclusive details on W having talent turn over their Cameo accounts. Uh, WWE taking control of talent's Twitch accounts in four weeks. This includes talent with accounts under their real names. So if you thought the real names thing was going to be the workaround, Wrestling Inc. says no. Their report goes on. WWE will own those accounts. However, talent will receive a percentage of the revenue, which counts against their downside guarantees. Seems to be confirming the Fightful report I mentioned earlier. WWE is also having talent sign agreements to turn over their Cameo accounts. Here are some of the key points from the agreement that was sent to Talent. 1. Talent affirmed that W is their authorized 
representative. Two, talent authorized cameo to make all payments and any other compensations to WWE. Three, cameo will not be made a party in any dispute between the talent and WWE. That's right, cameo might be a big company that can afford lawyers. Uh, that that was obviously my comment, not WWE's. Number four, the authorization can be canceled at any time, only if the account is canceled. I don't know what that means. I guess WWE's authorization of the talent's account can be canceled, but the, the account itself has to be canceled. I'm not sure what the significance of that would be. So I don't know. That's a a lot of control. I hate it when I feel like I'm not in WWE control. is exuding over its talent, its independent contractors who are definitely not employees. By the way, we're talking about how um, NBC Universal owns the episodes of Law & Order SVU. I think they own them. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But let's say NBC owns all the episodes of of Law & Order, uh, SVU. So that makes airing those episodes very profitable because you just there's no no real cost to the production. You're just re-airing library content. Uh, So similarly, but, but WWE Raw cost them $5 million per episode. Now imagine if, uh, as I once advocated on an earlier episode, imagine if Comcast, the parent company of NBC Universal, the parent company of USA Network, bought, owned WWE and just owned WWE Raw and NXT and maybe they'd license SmackDown or, or put it on one of their other networks someday. Imagine if they just owned that content. Of course, there are many things standing in the way of that. Vince McMahon will never sell the company, I believe, in his lifetime. But in addition to that, do you want to own a company that has such a legal liability, sort of just looming outstanding in the distance, that at some point you may be sued over misclassifying all your wrestlers? And now the nature of these finances at the moment, they, they could afford, as I once estimated aggressively, WWE could afford. They have, you know, a... in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from arena club the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. 
But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Plenty of earnings, plenty of profit that they could afford to convert all their wrestlers to employees. They could afford it, but that would also mean that they would be less profitable. Still profitable, but less profitable. Meaning, in a sense, this company that you're buying is not maybe as profitable in theory as it seems to be. So, all right, finally, we'll get into some TV thoughts after this. When you say the medium is the message, you're really saying that the the ground is the message. It's not the content. The actual ground of services. It's not what you say in the telephone. It's the fact that the telephone service is environmental. Marshall McLuhan is practically a household word in this uh, television-conscious society. He's from the University of Toronto, of course, the author of a book called The Medium is the Message. And he came to New York last night so that he could watch the debates, watch them not so much from a policy point of view, but from a television point of view. The glorious moment was the rebellion of the medium against the bloody message. The medium finally rebelled against the most stupid arrangement of any debate in the history of debating. Television best when it covers an event like a space shot or the Olympics or a baseball game? Is it best when it tries to entertain with uh, with movies at night, uh, when it tries to inform with news programs that have films I of think things that have already happened? The advantage of coverage of sports events is they are ritualistic. The group gathered there is participating in a ritual. Now, the, the, the Olympics were even more a group ritual than the ordinary competitive uh, event in a ball game or a single ball game, a single event, because they had a a corporate meaning. It was not just a a local, it was a sort of a worldwide meaning. And this is itself a ritualistic participation in a large uh, process. Television fosters and favors a world of corporate participation in ritualistic programming. So I've been going through showbuzzdaily.com and pasting, copying and pasting a lot of information from the pages of showbuzzdaily.com and into Excel spreadsheets or Google Sheets as may be required. That has given me some data which 
I guess I should get into later. But first, I should say at the front, I think, here's the main subject, I think uh, I've solidified my view that we've, um, we're focusing too much on the linear patterns of viewership. As much as it gives us, uh, as it, you know, it tempts us toward the satisfaction and really misdirects us toward the, the satisfaction that we're going to get some economic justice. We're not going to get economic justice. Uh, at least not, not the, not by the signals that we think we're getting. Um, we are fond of logging on to Showbuzz Daily or, or looking at somebody else report the, the information that Showbuzz Daily reports. Because that is where they're getting the information from, by the way, whether or not they credit Showbiz Daily or not. They don't have secret sources that give them the information at, at 4 p.m. Eastern. But it's great to, to look at the latest report of, let's say, Raw's viewership and think about, oh my god, oh, Raw, Raw did its lowest rating of all time. The, the, the third hour drop. The third hour is the lowest hour of Raw of all time. And, and that may be true. And, and it is true that Raw has lost half of its viewership over the last five years. And um, so there's, there's some information that is true. And sometimes, in a not very precise way, sometimes, uh, especially it tends to be people who will defend, who want to defend WWE, will say that well, all, all, all TV is down. These people are complaining and all TV is down, okay? It's down across the board. And, and, and that's true. There's truth to that. So really what I think maybe is a, is a highfalutin way to, to, to say this or what, what people who say that are asking for, they're asking for some sort of volume adjustment. And we need to adjust for volume, if at all possible, in a number of different media in a number of different ways when we look at all these different metrics which the media metrics at least which test for uh activity across different media whether that's what am i talking about whether that's tv viewership whether that's youtube views whether that's streaming subscriptions um we are now in a, in a tv moment in a media moment unlike that of the monday night wars which i think we were all we all have our educations from but that business has changed and the media has changed. The, um, the media environment that we're in has changed. We are no longer in, in, the, in the safe, stable, predictable media world of 1995 to 2001 when um, TV subscriptions were stable and grew gradually over that time. We're now in a time where TV subscriptions are gradually declining and the amount of time that people spend consuming video is probably about the same, but the amount of time that people spend consuming video is increasingly less. It's not happening as much on pay TV. Older people are still consuming media on pay TV, but younger people, the younger they are, the less likely they are to be consuming media through pay TV. So that means that this, this issue with Volume adjustment is not an issue that's going to go away. We're going to continue to have more and more young people. Older people are going to continue to age. And we're going to continue to have this sort of movement in the patterns of our behavior and the way that we consume media that, that will be correlated greatly to age. But anyway, what's the point of this? We're spending too much time 
looking at the declining ratings of WWE Raw and WWE SmackDown. And in fact, I mean, it's sort of timely that we bring this up because now we're in October 2020. We are now soon going to be looking at year-over-year uh, patterns of change, decline or, or decline, probably decline, for AEW Dynamite and WWE NXT. And we're going to see those programs probably decline, certainly in this Q4 when both of those programs did uh, far better in 2019 because they were they were newer and then there was some some skew happening right from from the boom of interest at the very beginning of AEW Dynamite at at least um and we're probably just going to see as a result of the the natural development related to the way that people are consuming media we're probably going to see um on balance a decline in AW Dynamite viewership and WNXT viewership year over year, but we'll we'll see. But anyway, I th- we're looking at WWE Raw and WWE SmackDown viewership and looking at the sort of inevitable declines that have been occurring. Certainly with Raw because it's been in one place, one time slot, one network for many many years. And it's, you know, uh, SmackDown jumping around, so it's been boosted by moving from Sci-Fi to the USA Network from. Uh, Thursday or Friday night to Tuesday and now to Friday and now on Fox on an even bigger, higher profile network. So it's been boosted. But we're looking at these patterns of, of ratings and thinking that, oh, see, people are tuning out and they're, they're paying the price. Look at these ratings decline. They are, they are paying the price for the bad content that they're putting out. And I mean to take nothing away from the many valid criticisms that WWE is, especially on the flagship programs, Raw and SmackDown, is doing a terrible job creatively. And it is hurting their business. It's a less than competent job that they're doing at creative. And if they had a, a competent uh, head of creative, their business and all of their metrics would be performing better. And their revenues would be higher. But the idea that the ratings are low enough that it, that it actually... Uh, symbolizes some sort of punishment or adverse consequence uh, in relation to the bad TV product is misguided and wrong and overamplified. You, know, you, you tweet a graph that shows, or a table that shows, you know, Raw has done one of its lowest ratings of all time. And people quote tweet and respond with GIFs, among other things, that look, WWE is paying the price for the bad content. And people sort of lament it and eulogize it as if WWE is upset about the latest low rating and the networks are really looking disapprovingly at WWE when that number comes out. Which is not to say that they're thrilled with the numbers that WWE may be doing. But let's look at this in in some context and um, we'll do some hard thinking about television economics here. So when it, let's look at it this way. When it, when it comes to data, you can, you can tell a million different stories from a million different angles. And this is just one story, <clears throat> one way to slice the data that I think, tells a, a, a story about what's happening here in the wrestling TV business. As I said, I went through all this show as daily data. And uh, at this point, I've collected... All of the data, all of the P1849 and all of the P-plus data for weekdays year to date. So 
What does that mean? I've got January 1st to September 30th. I have every weekday. I haven't collected the weekends yet. I've got Monday through Friday for January 1st to September 30th. Did I say June earlier? Anyway, I've got everything year to date through Q3. And I've basically attempted to sort this, uh, sort the programs out into, uh, sort the programs into titles that are close enough. So it looks like I'm, uh, I'm able to get an average of, you know, what, what does a given program do on average for its viewership? So without getting into the boring and probably hard to understand detail of how I did that, I've basically got a a table of a, a bunch of programs, thousands of rows of programs. Now, I would like to look at programs that, you know, occur on a recurring basis. Programs that have, a, have repeatedly air, that have many episodes of the given program. So to make a totally arbitrary choice, let's say a 10, 10 episode minimum. Let's look at all the programs that have at least 10 episodes year to date. Again, there are a number of ways you could, you could have qualified these programs, but I'm looking at programs that have similar program titles and are all on one given network. So for example, NBA basketball airs on ESPN and on TNT. Oh, by the way, we're only looking at cable programs here. I don't have any of the, any of the broadcast data for NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox. But NBA airs on ESPN and TNT. So I'm not looking at NBA games as a whole across networks. I'm looking at NBA games on ESPN, NBA games on TNT, and so forth. So you could choose to define a program as a program in a number of ways, but I defined it by having similar titles. Basically, in most cases, I went through and made various exceptions. But in most cases, you I, I figured you are a given program if you had all of the same first 10 characters or so in your program title. So that groups together all the episodes of WWE Raw, which are, for whatever reason, reported as WWE Entertainment. That groups together all the episodes of AEW Dynamite. That groups together all the episodes of WNXT. That groups together all the episodes of, for a few other examples, that groups together all the episodes of the NBA regular season games on ESPN. That groups together all the episodes of Love and Hip Hop on VH1. So anyway, when you do what I did, and then you take all the programs and say, all right, I only want to look at programs that have at least 10 episodes year to date. What program, what programs have the highest average P1849 viewership year to date? And I'll, uh, I'll read through them quickly here. We'll do the top 25. Number 25, the NHL semifinals on NBC Sports Network. And number 24, AW Dynamite on TNT. So AW Dynamite, the 24th most viewed program by this criteria in the key demo. And we'll, we'll go through the rest of them quickly here. Many of these I've never heard of because I'm totally out of touch with pop culture. Number 23, something called Gold Rush on Discovery is number 23. Number 22, Curse of Oak Island on History Channel. Never heard of it. Black Ink Crew on VH1. Never heard of it. Number 20 is uh, America's Choice 2020 on CNN, which obviously is a grouping of, of news programs on CNN. 90 Day Fiance on TLC. That's at number 19. Number 18, 60 Days In. That may be an incomplete program title on the A&E Network. Number 17, 90 Day, I think it's another version of 90 Day Fiance got grouped together here on TLC. Number 16, 
a grouping of programs on the Iowa caucuses on Fox News. Yes, Fox News is a huge deliverer of, of, of overall viewership, mostly older viewership, but still a, a deliverer of the key demo as well. Number 15, Inside the NBA on TNT. 14, Teen Mom on MTV. And here we go. 13, on Fox News, The Tucker Carlson Show. 12, on Fox News, The Hannity Show. 11, on Fox News, a grouping of titles with 14 episodes, Democracy 2020. Maybe next year they'll be debuting Tyranny 2020. At number 10 on TLC, 90 Day Other Way. That seems to be, I would guess that that's related to 90 Day Fiance. I have no idea what the program is, though. Um, Number 9, Jersey Shore on MTV. Number 8, a grouping of NBA regular season games on ESPN. Number 7, Challenge Total Madness on MTV. Total Madness might just be a... uh, episode title i think i think the series is challenge right i think so i've heard joe lanza talk about it so that's how i get my uh pop culture from other wrestling podcasts number six nba basketball on tnt number five love and hip-hop on vh1 and number four the number four deliverer on average of the key demo with its 39 episodes this year the dying declining brand the Record low setting program. WB Raw. WB Raw outranking every program mentioned uh, up to this point with its 0.59 average rating in the key demo. Only three programs beating out uh, WB Raw. NBA playoffs on TNT at number three. NBA playoffs on ESPN at number two. And college football at number one on ESPN. So I, I think the. The overall problem is, right, it's it's easy for us wrestling fans and wrestling commentators or whatever to to keep our, our, our spreadsheets about or our notebooks about WB viewership. But it's a much harder job to gather the the wider set of data related to TV overall. Um, I've, I've done things like try to look at, um, you know, WB has been publishing uh, for a few years uh, trends of the top 25 cable and the top 25 cable average, although it is lower than Raw or SmackDown, has been declining at a less strong rate than the decline of uh, Raw and, in some cases, SmackDown. But the rank of a program like W Raw, and and by the way, if 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 SmackDown was a cable program, which it is not now on Fox, but if if uh, just to get an idea of where SmackDown is, SmackDown's doing a 0.61. Uh, average key demo rating that would put it just edging above W raw. So Raw and SmackDown very much in the same neighborhood. And so while Raw and SmackDown have, uh, again, it's easier to talk about raw because it's a more stable uh, program in terms of where it's been broadcast. So while W raw has lost half of its viewership over the last five years, it is still by at least one, formulation of criteria the fourth most viewed program uh, recurring program let's call it on cable only being beaten out by nba playoffs and college football while it has fallen in half uh, in terms of viewership number of people watching on pay tv it has apparently not fallen by the same degree in terms of being one of the top cable programs that there is 
then SmackDown is apparently right there with it. So I think viewership is good to look at when we're looking at comparing the, the, the four or five wrestling TV shows. Obviously, you know, who's ahead between AEW and NXT? How much is Raw and SmackDown? How much are Raw and SmackDown viewed more than, than those two programs and things of that nature? But what we don't focus on enough is, is the ranking that the programs get on their given night, which is, which is right there, by the way, on Showbuzz Daily. They rank them by, uh, by the key demo, by P1849. And Raw continues to rank highly on Monday. But I admit, it does cause alarm and draw ad revenue when you post that W has done its, its lowest, its lowest viewership ever. So, okay, now, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the last year, we've been educated, there's been a whole PR campaign waged to educate us that what matters is the key demo. The key demo matters more than the total audience because it's driving the ad rates. It's driving the advertisers, the ad revenue. So, so wait a minute. So even though the, yeah, they're highly ranked. Yeah, whatever. They're, they're P1849. Raw's, let's, let's say Raw's P1849 has, has fallen in half along with the viewership. In fact, the P1849 has fallen harder, fallen deeper than the viewership overall. Because the, P- the P1849 excludes a lot of the old people who are still hanging around. So how can WB, how could it not be that big of a deal that WB's viewership has fallen in half over the last five years when their, their key demo has fallen more than in half in the last five years? That's, what's, that's what determines uh, how much they can charge the advertisers, maybe. Maybe. And here's where um, it's apparent that that that's not a big enough deal. Um, and this is where I, I, w- I would like to be educated by somebody who knows more about the TV ad industry. But uh, maybe it's just a, a fact of these are still, these top shows, including Raw, are still the, the way to um, get the biggest audiences. And advertisers maybe are still uh, willing to pay for, you know, the same rate for whatever is the biggest audience. Um, not to mention programs on cable uh, drive transmission fees. And there are probably specific agreements that uh, cable networks have with cable transmitters for programming like sports programming, or maybe specifically like WB Raw. And clearly over the last five years, while WB's while Raw's key demo has fallen by more than 50%, its TV rights fees over that same time period have tripled, more than tripled. And I suspect that the, what has changed is the, the dependency relationship between the content providers like WB and the networks like USA Network. Has, uh, the USA Network has come to need WB Raw more than it has in the past, whereas WB Raw really needed the USA Network in a earlier era. In an earlier era, WB needed to be on the USA Network so it could sell its pay-per-views and its events and its merchandise. And today, they still need USA Network for those reasons. But now in a fragmented media environment where pay TV, live TV is being watched less, 
networks like the USA Network need those highly viewed programs more than ever, more than before. As people subscribe to cable TV at a lower rate, as people spend more of their time watching TV through streaming services, or just spending their time in other ways, whether that's gaming or whatever, or their phones, and so forth. So I promised you a listicle of three things that you need to watch if you're trying to determine uh, what's happening with TV rights value in the pro wrestling industry. If you're looking for the confirmation of your hope that there will be doom and gloom for WWE for their bad TV, or if you're trying to uh, prove to everybody that they're wrong about all their complaining about WWE and that their TV value is going to be fine anyway, here are the three things that I think matter in regards to that. Number one, as we just talked about, the P1849 ranking. Showbiz Daily puts them in that order. It puts the number right there to the left of the program. It's there every day. I'm tracking it in the Showbiz Daily Google Sheet, which you can find at WrestleNomics.com. So that's number one, P1849 rank. Watch how that changes over time. That is much more stable for WWE programming. And number two, watch for what the new TV deals are for second-tier sports properties. So second-tier sports properties, I mean uh, beyond things like the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL. Maybe NHL is in there too, but I would look at things like golf, soccer, tennis, other sports that aren't the big four. What is their step-up like? Over Step-up in terms of, uh, what does that mean? That means how much of an increase did they get in their current deal versus their previous one? I think that gives us why why the second-tier sports and not the first-tier sports. Because I think the first-tier sports are the highest priority. And the sports below that are going to get what's left of the money that's there to be allocated. I think it's, it is reasonable to me. I don't know if it's likely, but it is it's possible to me that, that W could end up in a scenario where there is so much money being allocated towards making a bid for the NFL that there's not as much left for WWE as WWE would like. That makes sense to me. Possible. I don't know if it's likely, but it's possible. So let's look at the second tier sports. What do they get? Are they still getting increases as middle of 2023 draws near when WWE will probably do its next round of negotiations and, and possibly AEW as well? Ah, which brings us to what is the viewership margin? This is number three. What is the viewership margin for WWE's flagship programs or on SmackDown? compared to AEW Dynamite. Raw and SmackDown are still the most viewed wrestling programs on US TV. But by how much? Well, not by as much as they were at the beginning of this year. Raw and SmackDown's lead over AEW Dynamite is shrinking. What was once for Raw a 100% lead over Dynamite in the key demo in January is now a 50% lead in September. Let's go to an even younger demographic, P18 to 34. What was once a 136% lead for Raw over Dynamite in January has now shrunk to a 32% lead for Raw over Dynamite. That's just over the course of nine months from January 2020 to September 2020. What is that margin going to be like in early 2023? Raw lost that much, and it's a similar story but not as pronounced for SmackDown, for the SmackDown comparison. But that's what happened in nine months. What What's that league going to look like in not just nine months, but 
you know, 24 to 30 months from now when those deals have to be renegotiated. Perhaps AEW has its option picked up and is also on the market as well with its deal with Warner Media set to expire uh, about nine, about three months away from the timing that Raw and SmackDown expire. So those are the three things. I, I, let's, let's call them pillars. The three pillars that will determine the wrestling future. Three pillars in, in tribute to one of our, our influential WrestleNomics heroes, George Berrios, who was fond of, of pillars. The three things that will f- determine the future of the pro wrestling business. The P18-49 ranking. The new TV deals for other non-major sports properties. And number three, the viewership margins between W Raw and, and W SmackDown versus AW Dynamite. And what if, by the way, I guess what's the point of, of that number three? If if Dynamite and Raw and SmackDown are very much in the same neighborhood in, let's say, key demo by the middle of 2023, I think they will be. I don't see the, how that can't happen if Vince McMahon is still in control of creative for WWE. Well, then all sorts of chaos could happen. I, I don't know. Um, WWE can end up getting a downgrade. WWE could end up not getting as big of an increase as it would like or as it would otherwise get if there was no AEW in the picture. And I think AEW, in terms of a revenue per viewer, could end up getting a very comparable rate for a TV deal. You know, I don't see AEW by then taking on some seven hours of, of weekly content like WWE has, so WWE would probably still overall generate more TV revenue. But the wrestling competition would get more intense. So that's all I have for this week as the uh, list of public officials in the United States who have contracted coronavirus grows since the last time I checked before I started recording this. The uh, 209,000 people have died of coronavirus in the United States who do not work in the White House. That notwithstanding, today also uh, marks two years since journalist Jamal Khashoggi was killed and dismembered in Istanbul, Turkey by Saudi officials after he was writing articles that were critical of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. You might have seen the graph, uh, the five WWE Saudi Arabia events since 2018 now more revenue than every Wrestlemania ticket sales combined adjusted for inflation you can learn more facts like this on the Wrestlenomics Twitter account at Wrestlenomics you can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Thurston and I'm Brandon Thurston and I'll talk to you next time